Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 19, 2016. The share ID for Friday, June 17, is 8840. That's 8840. This morning, A Vision for You presents, Are Your Beliefs About This Program True? Once in a while, we have to take a critical look at things, even the things we think are worthy and working well. Otherwise, we may look up and find them gone. Even AA, and especially OA, has lost some of its message. We need to return to our message, to our roots. The program of recovery is contained in the big book, a textbook with a precise set of suggestions for working each step. The sole purpose of this step work is to find power through the experience of a spiritual awakening. The actual intended program of recovery is a personal transformation through following the clear-cut suggestions for each of the 12 steps described in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. The writers tell us if we want what they have, we must do what they did. What did they do? Perhaps we need to revisit the ingredients, the beliefs, and the actions of the original founders and inventory our current ingredients, beliefs, and actions. Are they based on truth, or has there been a loss of focus through culture and distortion? Joining us this morning to present, are your beliefs about this program true? Is Barbara A., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey, Barbara is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, intensively working with others, leading workshops, and carrying this message of recovery to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And it's with great pleasure that I welcome Barbara this morning. Okay, just making sure you can hear me? I sure can. Okay, so hi, everyone. I'm Barbara Armstrong, a compulsive overeater from Parsippany, New Jersey. If my name or voice sounds familiar to you, that's because this is my third time speaking on a vision for you, and I have to say, it's still an honor to be asked to do this. The first time I spoke was on March 2, 2014, when I talked about the rewards of program. At that time, I told my story, gave details on how I worked the steps, and then talked about how wonderful my life had become. The second time I spoke was on September 21, 2014, when I talked about life on the other side of Step 12, focusing on the things I learned living this new way of life. This time, I'd like to talk about belief systems to make sure there isn't anything that is standing in the way of reaching any goal you may have associated with this program. I picked this topic because this past year I ran five workshops, which included a question and answer session, and a lot of these questions were based on misinformation and misconceptions people had, so I thought this subject would be interesting and possibly encourage you to reflect on what really works for you. Also, a lot of the people who talked to me privately afterwards wanted to know why, even though they are doing everything their sponsor is telling them to do, they can't stick to their food plan. 
Today I'm going to talk about some of the things they were told to do that, as a real compulsive overeater, will not work. Before I say anything, let me do a disclaimer. Just because I say something doesn't make it true. I am not a guru nor the expert in this program. I'm just someone who is willing to follow the directions, and as a result, everything in my life changed. I'm only an expert on one thing, my own experience of my addiction and my recovery and what worked for me and what didn't. And the last part of the disclaimer is this. Anything I say or how I answer any question is based solely on my own personal experience and my witnessing the experience of those I have sponsored. What I say is just my opinion and is not intended to criticize or pass judgment on anyone and instead is just to give you some things to think about. I'd like to start by telling you a few things about myself. I went to my first meeting on June 10, 2000. At that time, I weighed 237 pounds. I've been continuously absent since the day of that first meeting. I've been living life on the other side of Step 12 for over 15 years, and I have worked with hundreds of people, helping them get to that point, too. I have learned to trust my own wisdom, the one given to me by my higher power as a result of doing the needed work. There are very few obstacles in the way of my recovery, and Step 10 takes care of these immediately. I'm someone who has had great teachers, but I had to be willing to learn and trust every one of them. I'm someone who has a magnificent higher power, but again, I had to be willing to trust and rely on that higher power. I have had literally thousands of conversations with people with long-term abstinence and those who are chronic relapsers, and as a result, I have learned what to do, and just as important, what not to do to be a success in this program. And last but not least, my success has absolutely nothing to do with my original way of thinking nor anything I brought with me to my first meeting, and instead it is based solely on my willingness to do what I needed to do and my finding a higher power who would do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I think the best way to demonstrate that this program works is by talking a little bit about my transformation. I'll use a before and after format for this. Before the program, I was angry all the time. My number one character defect was mean-spirited. I hated everyone because I thought I was terrible and my life was terrible, and everyone I came in contact with just confirmed this. So before you had a chance to hurt me, I hurt you. I spent most of each day doing and saying harmful things, and when I wasn't doing that, I was arguing with people in my head and planning my next destructive move. Here's my life today. I have peace of mind. Nothing bothers me. I have learned that everything that happens is from my higher power, either to teach me something I need to learn or to protect me from something later on. When my peace of mind gets disturbed because of being angry, fearful, or harmful, I immediately do a step 10, reconnect with my higher power, and then these negative feelings are instantly removed. As a result of this, I don't cause wreckage for myself nor those around me. Before a program, I was fat, unhealthy, tired all the time, and embarrassed. I couldn't put down the food, and my whole existence was getting and eating food and thinking about getting and eating food. Today, my doctor says I'm a picture of health. 
I now have a normal-sized body, and this body does miraculous things all the time. I can see, hear, walk. My body turns an apple into blood and bone, and it heals itself. You're listening to someone who should have been dead a long time ago, and instead I'm here sharing my experience. As for my food plan and my weight loss, by working the tools and working the steps, I was able to stick to my food plan and, as a result, lost a lot of weight. I have a great food plan, one that is based on what works for me, one that eliminates my trigger foods, one that I can live with, and one that allowed me to achieve my goal of losing weight. By working the steps, I no longer need to eat the foods I'm allergic to nor large quantities because food is no longer my solution. God is. Before a program, I never fit in. I always felt inappropriate, wrong, out of sorts, and out of place. My daughter hated me. I had eating buddies, and while we were eating, all we did was complain. I dated drug addicts and alcoholics because I thought that was all I deserved and allowed people who treated me disrespectfully and inappropriately to remain in my life. Today, every one of my relationships is a two-way mutual admiration collaboration I feel a part of. I have more friends than one person could possibly have. My daughter loves me, and I have a full life, one that makes me very, very happy. Pre-program, I worked two full-time jobs and still couldn't meet my everyday living expenses nor pay off my charge cards. I would date guys I didn't like just so they would take me to dinner, where I would order tons of food to eat there and then have doggy bags to take home to eat. I also stole money out of their wallets to pay for my phone and electric bills. As a result of working this program, the character defects of being lazy and feeling entitled were removed, and as a result, I became a better employee and got raises and promotions, and I now have enough money not to worry about money. Pre-program, I was very selfish, self-seeking, and self-centered. All I wanted was to be thin, have tons of money, be better than everyone else, have nice things, win the lottery, and find the perfect guy who would rescue me from my terrible life. Today, my goals have nothing to do with me. My primary purpose today is to be an agent of God, being kind, caring, and loving, and to be helpful wherever and whenever possible. And last, pre-program, I was hopeless. I really believed nothing could change, that I was destined to have a terrible life, and that my life would just continue to spiral downward as I got fatter and fatter and unhappier and unhappier. Today, I'm a living example of what God can do. I'm becoming everything I was born to be. Am I perfect? Far from it. But God has put me on a path where I keep learning new things, and I keep moving closer to where he wants me to be. So now I'd like to switch to today's topic. Are your beliefs about this program true? When Leah asked me to speak and asked for a topic, I suggested, your truth is your truth until you find out it's not true anymore. But that was too long. I wanted to identify and talk about things I've heard that I found hurt me instead of helped me. So the things I'm going to talk about today are things that made me pause and question what I'm hearing because they didn't ring true for me. Before I do that, I jotted down 10 things which I'd like to read to you. One, my intent is not to offend anyone or hurt their feelings, but to challenge some of the beliefs and habits you've had for a long time. Two, I'm asking you to listen for what speaks to you and furthers your recovery. Three, 
You will learn more from your own experience, good or bad, than from anything you read in a book, hear at a meeting, or hear me say today. Four, my truth doesn't have to be yours. Five, nothing I say will make you eat. Nothing I say will keep you abstinent. It's all about what's going on in your head and how willing you are to do the things you need to do. Six, all I'm asking is that you listen in a new way. If you listen with the expectation of hearing something you need to hear, you'll hear it. My suggestion is to be open and receptive. If you hear something that sounds right for you, sense if you have the willingness to try doing that something. Seven, the things I'm about to say are my truths. I want to use them as a basis for you to decide what beliefs are right for you and your recovery. Something inside you knows you need help. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening right now. And it's your job to determine which things will actually help you. Eight, all I'm doing is sharing what I know is true for me. Know your truth, not only by reason, but by your heart. Find things that allow you to show up for your own recovery. Nine, know that a small change in the way you think today may in some way change the person you grow to be tomorrow. And 10, you don't have to agree with everything I say. So let's begin. Here's one of my truths that evolved as I worked this program. I believe there are three levels in this program, recovered, recovering, and not recovered. If I'm aiming to achieve something, I need to identify what that is and what measurable actions show me I'm there. So I came up with definitions of each level that worked for me. My definition of recovered is the obsession has been removed. The craving doesn't get triggered. Food is no longer a problem nor the focus of my existence. I feel happy and useful. I'm satisfied with where my weight is and how my body looks, and I'm grateful for everything it does for me. I have peace of mind. I feel connected to my higher power. I want to share this program with others, and I'm willing and happy to help. My definition of recovering is I'm abstinent, but I find it's a struggle sometimes. I work the tools to the best of my ability. Where the steps are concerned, I take what I want and leave the rest. There are times where I have trouble with personal relationships. I can't control my emotional nature. I have a feeling of uselessness. I am full of fear or I am unhappy. And my definition of not recovered is I stick to my food plan most of the time or not. I don't always want to work all the tools. Sometimes I think the meetings are boring and a waste of time. I find that I am often upset with others in the fellowship and with those in my life. I think that maybe OA doesn't really work. I'm having trouble in most areas of my life. I know about the steps, but I really don't want to do them. I'm not ready to do them. don't want to put in the time and effort it takes. I'm still looking for that magic pill. Here's something to consider if you found yourself annoyed by these descriptions. Before working the steps, my habit of finding fault came in handy when somebody challenged my old ways of thinking. It was easier to criticize others than to look at myself. So the consideration here is to ask yourself if your old ways of thinking are interfering with you being open to having a new experience. The truth is that what I just said is only my opinion. It was just words that were not intended to criticize anyone, and it was only your interpretation that got you annoyed. This was only a consideration, something for you to think about. Take what you want and leave the rest, taking only what rings true for you. 
Remember, I don't know what's best for you, but I can share my thoughts and let you determine what you believe is the correct thought process for you. Again, I just want you to find what's true for you. Next, I am very lucky in that if I see a food that I'm allergic to that will cause the craving or my overeating, my mouth starts to water a lot, and my stomach crunches thinking it's going to get a lot of that food. I am very well aware of this reaction and what foods cause this, and none of these foods are included in my daily food plan. So here are some considerations about your food plan. Do you know which foods are safe for you to eat and which foods are not, and does your food plan reflect this? Do you trust the wisdom of your higher power and your magnificent body to be honest enough about what should be included or eliminated in your food plan, or are you just blindly following someone else's opinion, suggestions, or rules on what you should be eating? What things, rules, or behaviors have worked for you in the past that you were comfortably able to follow? Can you use your own experience to find out what makes your life better or worse? What things or behaviors allowed you to go one day without overeating? What choices have you made that support your recovery? Next, I'd like to tell you about my sponsors. I've had a food sponsor, someone who wanted me to succeed, was there for me, and taught me what worked for her. I've had a maintenance sponsor, someone who had already succeeded in finding out what worked to keep her in a normal-sized body and was willing to share her knowledge with me. I've had a writing sponsor, someone who gave me the opportunity to go deep inside the thinking I didn't even know was there and weed out the lies that were keeping me stuck in negative behaviors. I've had a step sponsor, someone who made sure I knew the importance of working these steps exactly as written in the big book so I could get rid of the things blocking me off from my higher power, connect to God, and stay surrendered. And I have had a spiritual sponsor, someone who taught me that God doesn't have rules and regulations I have to follow in order to have him be in my life and that any conversation I have with God is actually prayer and meditation. One of the greatest things I learned is that a prayer of thank you is sometimes enough. Every one of these people was a teacher who taught me things I needed to learn, and they did it gracefully, lovingly, and unselfishly. So the next considerations are about your sponsor. How's your relationship with your sponsor? Do you feel comfortable talking to your sponsor about how you feel or what you were thinking, or are you afraid of their reaction? Does your sponsor have or have they had the same problem as you? Do you run to your sponsor for advice instead of seeking guidance from your higher power? Is your sponsor teaching you the solution that will work for you? Are you using your sponsor as a substitute for God? Do you realize that your sponsor's suggestions aren't commands? Do you feel as though you have the best sponsor in this whole program? If not, why aren't you getting a new one? Other considerations. What things have you heard in the meetings that have become your truth but are really doing you harm? I'd like to talk about some of the things I've heard that made me question their validity. I've heard people say, All I need to do is take step one every day. If I had cancer and every day admitted I had cancer but did not find a doctor, make an appointment, go see him, follow his advice, complete whatever procedures needed to be done, and change my lifestyle, I would be someone who still has cancer and all its resulting consequences. 
If all I do is admit I have the problem of being powerless over food, but don't do all the actions necessary to become recovered, all I am is someone who admits I have a problem and I continue to be unhealthy and have a life full of resentments, fears, and harms to others. I've heard people say, meeting makers make it. If this were a true statement, I could go to a bunch of meetings and, without any other effort on my part, my overwhelming urge to eat would disappear. The truth is that meeting makers make meetings. If I just go to a bunch of meetings, I'm a compulsive overeater who goes to a bunch of meetings. But if I go to meetings and apply what I learned to my life, follow the directions in the big book, and live by the principles of this program, then I'm not only a compulsive overeater who goes to meetings, but one who works this program and therefore is making progress along the path of recovery. I've heard people say, it's okay, honey, everyone relapses. Not everyone relapses. Relapse is not part of recovery, although it may happen. Relapse happens because as a compulsive overeater, if you haven't learned a different response than eating by working this program to change the way you think and react, you have no choice but to run to the food. If you fail to enlarge your spiritual life, which is the result of working the steps, the thought of running to God instead of the food won't even cross your mind. But if you work this program as it needs to be done, then relapse will no longer be a part of your journey. In talking to people who have relapsed and then found their way back to recovery, I was told the worst thing anyone can do is judge, ignore, sympathize, or encourage self-pity in those who have relapsed. Instead, honestly and without criticism, giving the person a chance to talk about what they can learn from this experience and what they can do to avoid doing these same behaviors in the future and especially working the steps as outlined in the big book, seems to be the way back to one-day-at-a-time recovery based on being spiritually fit. I've also heard people say, it doesn't matter how you do the steps, just do them. As a real compulsive overeater, my only solution is working the steps as outlined in the big book. If I were a hard eater, which is someone who has the same behaviors as a compulsive overeater, but given a good enough reason can stop or moderate without doing this program as it needs to be done, then I would be able to stick to a food plan forever by just going to meetings and not eating no matter what or by doing the steps any old way. That's not me. As a real compulsive overeater, it does matter how I do the steps. I have to do them exactly as they are written out in the big book. In order for me to get to the other side of step 12, where my main focus is not on the food or what others have done to me, but on being kind, caring, loving, and helpful, I need to do each step correctly. Step one, admit I have a problem. Step two, believe or be willing to believe that there's something that can help me. Step three, make a decision to give this something a try. Step four, do four five-column inventories, one for resentments, one for fears, and two for harms with and without sex, so that I can see how I got the ball rolling for my resentments, have an action plan of the things I'm going to do to minimize the chance of my fears happening, and have an action plan of how I will start treating people from this point forward. Step five, admit to God, to myself, and to someone else what character defects I found in my inventories. Step six, now that I've seen it's my character defects causing all my problems, I want them removed. Step seven, 
as God should remove each defect, teach me to be its opposite, and then act as if I am that opposite every chance I get. Step eight, make a list of those I've harmed and realize that my actions really did have negative consequences for others and became willing to clean these things up. Step nine, went out and made any necessary apologies, but more importantly, started to amend the way I think and the way I act. Step 10, at the exact moment I am angry, fearful, or harmful, immediately do steps four through nine. Step 11, look for and be guided by God. Step 12, the first part is to carry the message that there's a way out of all this misery, that you never have to over it again, your fail as bad as you do right now, and then by using the big book, teach others how to make that come true. The second part of step 12 is being an example of how to live the principles of this program. I've heard people say, just be abstinent and the rest will follow. For those people who only focus on sticking to their food plan, always not a 12-step program. To be successful, the focus needs to be on the steps whose purpose is not to stop you from overeating, but to teach you how to connect to your higher power, and as a result, the need to overeat vanishes. Something I once heard really applies here. If I focus on my weight, I'll lose my program. If I focus on my program, I'll lose weight. Another thing I've heard is I do step 10 at night. Step 10 is where God puts you in the situations he wants you to be in to learn how to be the opposite of your character defects. If you wait until the end of the day, you have missed the opportunity to learn the lessons. God can only be found right here, right now. When you have a learning opportunity at 7 a.m. because someone on the highway cut you off and you don't do a step 10 right there and then, you've missed the chance to learn to be patient, kind, and understanding instead of mad and retaliatory. Doing a step 10 14 hours later does nothing to connect you to your higher power and to learn what you needed to learn that morning. As an aside, I think that step 10 is the most important step because when step 10 is done correctly, this is where you become recovered. The main thing to remember is that when you begin doing step 10 properly, your life is not all of a sudden going to hell. What is happening is that God is putting you in situations where you can learn to be the opposite of your character defects. You made a decision to let God be in charge in step three. You gave him permission to mold you into who he wants you to be in step seven. And in step 10, he starts that transformation and will do whatever he has to do to get your attention. By doing steps one through nine properly, you have removed the things blocking you off from your higher power And now there is nothing interfering with you receiving messages, lessons in step 10, and guidance in step 11 from your higher power. If you can remember that everything that is happening in step 10 is from your higher power to either teach you something you need to learn or to protect you from something in the future, you will realize that there is absolutely nothing to ever be upset about, and the gift for believing this is peace of mind and finding a quick and easy solution to every situation you find yourself in. And you can only achieve this by doing step 10 immediately. One word of caution, though. You need to have done steps 1 through 9 properly in order for step 10 to work the way it's supposed to. 
My truth is that, as a real compulsive overeater, the only solution I have is to find, connect to, and be guided by a higher power that is strong enough to overcome the effects of my being a compulsive overeater. And the only way I found to do that is by working the steps exactly as they are written in the big book. Here's some more considerations. These next few things might get some people riled up. When I talk about these things, notice if you are willing to reconsider your beliefs or are you angry, defensive, or critical. Remember, my opinions are just that, my opinion. Don't base your serenity on them. Again, all I'm asking you to do is listen with an open mind. The first thing is, how do you describe yourself? Personally, I identify myself as a compulsive overeater, plain and simple. When a newcomer comes in and hears me say that I'm a compulsive overeater and then I describe my behaviors, they can say, oh, yes, that's me. Hopefully, the newcomer doesn't get confused or lose the feeling of together we can by hearing any other label someone uses. Then when the solution is discussed, they can have hope that if someone's suffering from the same disease everyone in the room has, the same solution will work for them too. So here's my question. Do you call yourself something other than a plain, ordinary, compulsive overeater, such as relapse survivor, bulimic, or critical-level food addict? And if so, what is your motive for doing that? Some considerations might be, is it your ego rebuilding by having you think you have a worse disease than other people in the room? Is it attention-seeking? Do you really believe that you have a disease that is different than what our fellowship name implies, an overeater? The next thing I'd like to talk about is singleness of purpose. World Service's newest directive is to say the following words at each meeting. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting, regardless of race, creed, nationality, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, or any other trait. I know that if I were new and heard these words, especially the word regardless, this would make me feel like an outsider, that maybe I'm someone who is different than who is typically a member of this organization, and that I've just been invited in, despite these perceived shortcomings or flaws, instead of just being welcomed as one of the hundreds of thousands of compulsive overeaters who came here for the reason all newcomers come to OA, to stop overeating. And while on the subject of singleness of purpose, if you are a man, someone with a disease, or a gay person, do you really need a separate meeting because you think you are different and regular members won't understand? So to also include World Service's new directive as a compulsive overeating person who also happens to be of a specific race, creed, nationality, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, or any other trait, do you really think that you are a different type of compulsive overeater because of these things? Do you realize that when you make announcements for these outside issue meetings or mention these specific labels, you are undermining the feeling of unity, which is what the first tradition is all about? Do you realize that if you work the steps as outlined in the big book, these identifications won't matter, and on the other side of step 12, you will be able to appreciate your uniqueness while still feeling a part of and including everyone in a way? Another consideration. Do you realize that this program is the 12 steps and nothing else, and that everything else is the fellowship? I'm not going to go into detail about this because my intent is not to debate this issue. 
I'll just say that many, many times I've heard people at a meeting say, I've been in program for 14 years, and I now have three days abstinence. My thought on this is that the person has been done a disservice because they were not taught how to work the 12 steps correctly, which would have enabled them to connect to and rely on their higher power, and because they did not learn the 12 steps properly, they keep relapsing, they continue to be angry, fearful, and harmful, they become discouraged or self-deprecating, and eventually they believe that OA doesn't work. OA does work for real compulsive overeaters, but only if they know about or taught and live the solution. Another consideration. At one of the workshops I ran, someone asked about a step 10 buddy. Here's my thoughts on that. Turning our will and our lives over to the care of another human being may not be such a good idea. Sponsors, therapists, doctors, teachers, people practicing 12-step recovery, any of them may give us useful guidance, but they're all human. We can listen to what they have to say, keeping an open mind. But people in recovery don't automatically get wisdom or sainthood conferred on them. People aren't perfect, and they couldn't possibly all know what's best for us. As we accumulate abstinence and spiritual experience, we get better at trusting our own instincts, something that may have been a source of danger when we were active in our addictions. We learn from our own experience what's good for us, what nourishes us, and what brings us peace and joy. It's not a spiritually sound practice to turn to people instead of our higher power. Turning it over includes trusting that our higher power is the one who will guide us to where we are supposed to be. My personal belief is that having a Step 10 buddy is not a good idea, and I'll explain why. All this 12-step work is to get you connected to and guided by your higher power. The whole purpose of Step 10 is for God to put you in situations that reveal your character defects so that you will seek him and with his assistance have the defects removed. The discussing it with another person part of the Step 10 instructions is when you tell someone the character defects and, if you want to, the actions you are going to take to correct things. The discussing it with another person is not to rehash what just happened that got you upset, so it's not a good idea to be calling other people and giving them all these negative details or telling the story over and over and over again. We don't want to focus on problems, but on solutions. We don't want a wrong that someone did to us to become a resentment. It's when we talk about or think about the situation that we develop the resentment. My suggestion is to just call your sponsor with the step five part of your step ten and just say, hi, this is so-and-so, I was just, whatever the character defects were, and then move ahead and with the help of your higher power, change your behaviors. Next, I've heard people say, this is a simple program, but it's not easy. I'd like to talk about working the steps, which is the actual program. I have sponsored hundreds of people, and I have found that this program is easy if the directions are followed exactly as written in the big book, and each direction is done one at a time. I'll use the step four resentment inventory as an example. It's not hard to make a list of the people we are mad at. We know who they are. We've been holding grudges against them for years and bad-mouthing them whenever possible. It's not hard to take each of these names and list what they've done to us. We've been complaining about these things or using them as excuses for our bad behavior for forever. It's not hard to identify which parts of self were hurt, 
threatened or interfered with, our self-esteem, our emotional security, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, and or our sex relationships. These are easy because these items, which make up columns one, two, and three of our resentment inventory, are all we've talked about and thought about for decades. The fourth column may seem hard at first, but with the guidance from the big book and guidance from a sponsor who has already done this work and lives in steps 10, 11, and 12 every day, we will be able to find our part in the resentment. As soon as you are able to recognize that you have a part in even one thing, you can see your part in everything else, and that awareness makes doing the fourth column easy. And then the fifth column lists the character defects that allowed us to get the ball rolling. Each column is done by itself, one thing following the other, being honest with ourselves. I have asked every person I have worked with when they got to step nine if anything they had done so far was hard, and not one of them said yes. In fact, the comment more often than not is that they couldn't believe how easy it was. Two weeks ago, I asked a sponsee who had just finished writing her inventories if she found any of this hard, and her response was, no, it was just like being in third grade when I had to keep writing the same thing over and over and over on the blackboard. Each step, if done correctly, gives you the strength to do the next. And the great part is that you are not doing this alone. Your higher power is with you every step of the way. And on the other side of step 12, sticking to your food plan is easy because you no longer need to use food to numb yourself or stuff your feelings. Another thing I've heard is, this is a selfish program. I disagree. It's not a selfish program. It's a selfless program for selfish people. The purpose of doing all this work is to get us to the point where we stop being selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-pitying, self-focused, self-deprecating, and any other self-word you can think of. On the other side of step 12, we don't focus on ourselves, but on others and how God can use us to help them. A belief I had before working the steps was that I was a bad person because I couldn't stick to a diet. The truth is that, as a real compulsive overeater, I don't have a moral deficiency that willpower can eliminate. I have a sick mind that keeps going back to the food because it believes that I need food in order to save my life, and I do not have the power on my own to suppress that. I'm not someone who, without my higher power, can wake up each day and choose not to overeat. Not overeating was an impossibility for me, but somehow, by coming to OA and doing the necessary work to connect to my higher power, I do not overeat one day at a time, and for some people, it's one meal at a time. And to me, whenever the food doesn't take over and we don't overeat, well, that's a miracle. And while on the subject of waking up each day and choosing not to eat, I'm never that cocky nor that arrogant to say I am capable of making that decision. Whether I'm able to abstain from compulsive overeating has nothing to do with me and everything to do with my higher power. So I became willing to, to do the work to get me to step 11, and here's why. In the context of 12-step recovery, the core question is always the same. Will I succumb to my addiction today? And the answer is always the same. I don't know. Not knowing is not a sign of weakness but of honesty. Traditionally, people in 12-step programs speak of one day at a time and commit to abstinence just for today. A more accurate rendering of the situation would be to say one moment at a time. 
I am abstinent now in this exact moment, but I cannot be certain about the next moment or the moment after that. Nor do I have to be. The next moment doesn't exist. Only this moment needs attention, and in this moment I abstain. In this moment, by living this program, I am connected to my higher power, and I am safe. And because of that, I don't need to overeat. Another thing I heard is that this is a... I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I picked up the same piece of paper. Next, okay. A misconception I hear all the time is that people think they have to have a higher power in step two and turn their life and their will over to that God in step three. Step two is only believing in the possibility that there is something that can help you. Step three is not turning your life and your will over. It's only making the decision that at some point in the future, you will be willing to do that. And until that time, you will do the necessary work to get you there. If I had the power to turn my life and my will over to God in step three, this would be a three-step program instead of a 12-step one. All I'm doing in step three is making a decision to give my concept of a higher power a try. Actually turning your life and your will over only happens when you reach step 11, and that is based on your experience in God as you correctly work the 10 previous steps. For me, I realized as I completed each step that God was the one giving me the strength to do the things that I previously thought I would never, ever do, such as looking for my part, admitting my faults, apologizing to people who I believed had done more harm to me than I had done to them, that sort of thing. As I worked steps 9 and 10, I got to see how magnificently God orchestrates everything when I get out of the way, and based on that, I slid into step 11 and became completely willing to have God be in charge of everything, my food, my weight, my relationships, my money, my job, my family, everything. I still did the needed footwork, but I knew that my higher power was there for me and that he would accomplish the things that were impossible for me to do. Something I've heard a lot is, there's no such thing as being recovered. I'm recovering. Here's my take on that. The big book promises that if I do the work and follow the instructions, I will be recovered. The word recovered appears many times in the big book. In fact, the title page actually says, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And the forward to the first edition says, We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For me, being recovered is the place where, while I may still have the allergic reaction of craving if I put white flour on my body, I no longer have the desire to do so. It's the place where God comes first. It's the place where I stop being selfish, self-seeking, and self-centered. It's the place where I fit comfortably in my own skin and in this world. It's the place where fear has been removed and replaced by trust and love. The word recovering only appears once in the text of the big book on page 121, referring to certain attitudes a wife may take with the husband who is recovering, meaning the husband who is in the process of working the steps. The thing here is to ask yourself, How's it feel to be recovering? I can tell you that when I was 25 years old and had pneumonia and was lying in the hospital getting antibiotics recovering, 
I still felt awful with a 104-degree fever, but once the medicine worked and I was no longer suffering from the effects of having pneumonia, I felt great being recovered from that disease. It's the same with this program. If I am no longer suffering from the effects of being a compulsive overeater, then I am not white-knuckling it. I'm not feeling deprived or unhappy. I'm not upset most of the time. I'm not running to the food for comfort. And I'm not breaking my abstinence. In my opinion, the best way to determine if you are recovered is to ask yourself if the things described in the 10th step promise have happened for you. Have you ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food? Has sanity returned? Are you really interested in compulsive overeating? If tempted, do you recoil from it as from a hot flame? Do you react sanely and normally and find that this has happened automatically? Do you have a new attitude towards food? Do you believe that your transformation is a miracle? Are you at the point where you do not need to avoid temptation? Do you feel as though you were in a position of neutrality, safe and protected, and has the problem been removed? If you can answer yes to these questions, which I guarantee would be your response if you were living on the other side of step 12 as a result of following the directions in the big book exactly as they are written, then you would know there is such a thing as being recovered and then being recovered is only one day at a time, sometimes one moment at a time, based on how spiritually fit you are and your willingness to do the things you need to do to stay that way. On the other hand, you can use the bedevilments on page 52 as your guide to see if you are not recovered. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Being recovered does not feel this way. If any of these bedevilments are true for you, and it doesn't have to be a continuous thing, then you may still be in the process of becoming recovered and may need to do some more work to connect to and be guided by your higher power. My suggestion is to find someone who has done the steps exactly as written in the big book and ask them to be your teacher so that you can find the place where you have an easy abstinence, where you have peace of mind, and where you feel useful. Being recovered doesn't mean that everything is hunky-dory all the time, but being recovered does mean that you do have a solution to every situation you are in, and that solution is found by living in steps 10, 11, and 12 each moment of each day. And how gracefully you handle and solve life's challenges is really the difference between recovering and recovered. So here's my last disclaimer. I hope that you understand that the things I said were not to get anyone upset. They are just things for you to consider and are definitely not criticisms. If you are upset, maybe the thing to do is ask yourself why you are so angry might just be a character defect coming into play to protect you, or maybe, just maybe, some of these things sit too close to home. Just remember, these are some of the things that I've thought about. Each moment of each day, I get the chance to choose whether I will be willing to do the things that help with my recovery, and my beliefs put me on the path to that end. So my question to you is, are your beliefs helping or hurting your chances of getting to where you want to be, and is what you believe to be true really true? My suggestion is to go deep within. Listen to your own spirit and honor what you find there, not because of anything I said, but because you trust your instinct of what is accurate for you. Trust that your higher power hasn't brought you this far to abandon you, 
Have him help you find your own truth. So let's open this up to questions. Please feel free to ask anything. Your questions will help me identify what topics you'd like me to talk about. So please ask tons of questions. Just one more thing. Remember that my answers are just my personal opinion based on my own experience. You can disagree with anything I say, and that is fine with me, because by doing this work, I let go of what no longer sustains me, and having to be right all the time is one of those things. So I'd like to thank everyone for giving me the opportunity to talk to you today, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Barbara, for your thorough and very compelling presentation this morning. Your service is greatly appreciated. Barbara's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so you can stay tuned for that. And we now will open the lines for questions. Uh, you can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute, and please identify yourself. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Who else? Charles H. Charles H. Dole from New Jersey. I didn't catch your name. Joel. Joel. Okay. Alita P. Minnesota. Alita P. Jody E. California. Jody E. Anyone else want to get in line? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Let's start off with Katie G. Good morning, Leah. May I be heard? Yes. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Uh, great, great, great talk. I loved it. Um, and I'm always, too, like looking for ways to grow and learn. Um, I've been in the room for 12 years and just can really relate to, like, having a lot of old beliefs and really appreciate it. Also, your humility um, for an open dialogue. And um, I'm the one, <laughs> and I may continue to do this, but I ask God to show me. Um, I frequently identify as a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Um, and I don't do that because I think I'm sicker. I really, like, I asked myself the question when you said that, do I do it because I think I'm sicker? And, um, like, I'm the first to say how egotistical I am. And, and you can tell me I am. But I'm, I'm doing it because I suffered in the rooms in my abstinence of compulsive overeating, having done the work with anorexia and bulimia. Um, and so I say it because I want to carry that message. And so um, if I am alienating anyone, that is certainly not my intention, and I'm open to stop. But right now, it Katie, feels like... do we have a question, yeah. darling? That's the question. That's okay. the question. Please correct me. That's it. Okay, so I'm taking that your your question is what my thoughts are on you being helpful by announcing these other things that it may hit someone else in the room and then they can come to you and talk to you. And my belief is our intent is always what's there. And I understand your intent is to be helpful, and I think that's wonderful. The thing is that because I am a safe people person for people to talk to, I get calls all the time from people after meetings, after workshops, after like anything that's going on. And people say to me things that um, just makes them feel uncomfortable. And while there may be someone who's, you know, anorexic or bulimic or any of the other things that are taking it one more level, the truth is that um, 
and I'll use bulimia as a thing. Yes, uh, it's terrible that you not only eat, but you throw up. But the thing is, if you didn't overeat enough or believe that you overeat enough, then you wouldn't need to throw up. And what happens is not everyone in the room is bulimic. So the calls that I get from people, and people not on the other side of 12, oh, my God, she's bulimic, you know, like, and they'll be critical. And, of course, I try and bring them back to, like, they have the same disease as us, they just do it. And, and for me, there's this thing about when I walked into my first meeting, 65 people smiling, laughing, talking about what they used to do with food and how they didn't do it anymore. All of a sudden I felt for the first time in my life, oh, my God, I feel a part of. Here are people who completely understand me. And if all of a sudden someone uses a different title, all of a sudden it makes me as a newcomer. Because remember, the meetings are really to help newcomers, you know, and so when someone walks in and they hear something different, all of a sudden instead of that, oh, wow, this is great, I found these people, I do that too, all of a sudden it makes their brain start thinking, well, am I different? Do I not belong here? Is there someone worse than me? Because the whole purpose of doing these steps is to get rid of things blocking us off, connect to God, and then stay surrendered. And what that surrendering does is it stops the reemergence of our ego. And that's one of the things that, for me, when I hear somebody saying something different than just compulsive overeater, um, it's not that I think, oh, there they go being egotistical. But if someone were to ask me, that's really what it is. Even though your intent is to be helpful, the way you can be helpful is at lunch when everybody's talking, and it's not just in a general way anymore, you can talk about your experience to someone sitting next to you or to go up during the break and talk to a newcomer. And, and for me, I found that's better on an individual basis. That doesn't mean that you have to all of a sudden stop doing that, but just from my own experience and from tons of people that I've talked to, when someone says something other than compulsive overeater, it, it does like this little chink in the armor for a newcomer, if that makes sense. So I hope I answered your question. Thank you, Katie G, for your question this morning. And now we'll move on to Charles H. Thank you. Thank you for your um it was a great disclaimer and a great share. So my question is, um what's your do you being that you get a lot of, you know, OA calls and questions and and so on and so forth, what's your take on I want to. I wanna, what's your take on um, you know, people um, in my humble opinion, miss 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 skewing um through the ninth step we have we'll be halfway amazed because I get a lot of calls too that you know people um even on this line dropping people uh, you know when they're halfway through their amends and not continuing with the program and 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 being baffled when um they they pick up. And before they even get to the 10 steps. So what's your take on that? And have you ever had any experience and any calls um, on, on those on that subject? And I've had, thanks. Okay, thank you. Um, yes. One of the things that I, I literally, I, I say hundreds, but I've actually worked with over 600 people. And what happened is, most of the people who have asked me to work with them, most of them don't even finish their fourth step. Most of them, if they 
do get to nine, they don't make their amends. And most people, if they do their amends and their life gets a little bit better because the nine-step promises come true and they think that's good enough, of all the people who have, and literally thousands of people have asked me to take them through, there's maybe only 2% that make it to the other side of 12 and are willing to teach this to other people. I don't have an answer as to why they do that other than um, the thing has to be you really have to hit bottom, and everybody's bottom is different. I've seen people that say that has to be their bottom, and then things continue to get worse. You have to be desperate enough to say, I can't take the way my life is going, or I can't take the way I'm feeling, and I will do anything, anything. And one of the things that I found is when somebody reaches that point, there's a very, very small time frame that they're willing to continue doing the work. So even though I have this fantastic life and I work a full-time job and I go out all the time, whoever my sponsees are, they pretty much govern my time. They have my undivided attention. If I can't do something at that exact moment, that night, and we move very, very, very quickly. So what happens is um, what I do sort of, and I don't want to really use the word weed this out, but I have a way that I sponsor. When it's somebody brand new and it starts with the food at the beginning, there's a whole bunch of assignments, one each day. If they're not willing to do that, then I'm not the right teacher for them. And it's not that I ever have to drop somebody. They just sort of drop out on their own. Before they do the steps, when they make it to five weeks and we're about to work on the steps, I give them an unmanageability questionnaire, eight-page questions of questions about where the unmanageability in your life is, because that's why you do the steps, not because of the food. If they don't do the questionnaire, I know they're not doing that, and it goes on their pace. The only thing that I find is that um, not everyone wants to do this work. They want the results but they're not willing to do the work. And all I can do is do what page 96 says. Don't waste my time on someone who's not willing to take what I have to offer. And all I'm offering is to be their teacher to help them learn how they can save their own life. And if they don't want it, I just move on to someone else. I'm always sponsoring a minimum of five people for the steps. And it's their job to keep moving forward. I don't chase anybody. I've learned that I'm not responsible for their success or failure. And all I am is a teacher for people who really want to learn this. So Yeah, but I, I, was, don't, I, I don't mean to um, interrupt you, but I was kind of asking, like, from the angle of um, sponsors saying, okay, you're, you're halfway through your amends, and then dropping that sponsee not because of anything they did, they did or didn't do. It's because, okay, you've got your wings now, you can fly. It, I was kind of trying to get that angle from you, that Okay, and apparently, now I have had not had that experience because the minute someone starts their ninth and make, makes a couple of amends, we move them right into 10. And then as soon as they find God and connect him 11 and 12, I, I don't know anybody in my area who has ever dropped someone when they got to nine, unless the person refuses to do the work, that they're not going to make their amends, that all of a sudden they're going to go out and be like the guru of the place and stuff like that, and then in having many conversations with the people, don't be so egotistical, continue to learn. But I don't really know anybody who at nine says, I'm done, 
unless in your area, and this is not a criticism because I don't know your area, maybe nobody's made it to 10, 11, 12, so they, don't ha- they can't teach it. You can only give away what you have. And on the other side of step 12, you would never, ever drop someone at nine. You know, so I don't really have an answer for you on that, on why people would do that, other than maybe they just don't know any better. Maybe they don't they have nothing else to teach. But the truth is if somebody were going through the big book line by line by line, after nine comes ten and they should be moving on. I don't have an answer why someone would drop somebody at nine unless the person refused to do the step nine work. Yeah, so sorry I can't give you like a steadfast real answer because I don't have that experience and I only talk from my own experience. Thank you, Charles, for your question. Joel, your turn. If you could give us your uh, last initial as well, thanks. Hi, this is Joel T. Thank you, Barbara, for your wisdom and discussing the 12 steps. Really appreciate that. Um, One of the things that I struggle with is finding meetings that relate to your presentation of the 12 steps. Do you you have any recommendations on how to find meetings and and meetings you might recommend and where they would be? Okay, well, I can only talk from where I am. I live in Port Symphony, New Jersey, which is uh, Morris County, right where Route 80 and 287 meet. And we have people who come from all over to these meetings. I attend two meetings a a week. The first one is a newcomer's meeting that's in Persephone, New Jersey, at the Persephone Library. Magnificent meeting that just discusses the tools. There's a bunch of us on the other side of Step 12 who go, stand up as available sponsors for food and steps because none of us just sponsor for just food. Um, And what happens, it's a two-hour meeting that is magnificent, where if you're brand new and you want to find out what you need to do to get abstinence from, you know, like here's your first day, they will talk, and we have tons of sponsors there. The other meeting that's just recently started, and and this is actually my real home group meeting now, it's a Monday night meeting in Morristown. It's, It's actually called The Vision for You. And what it is, it's that it's people come who want to learn the steps as outlined in the big book. And it's, a, it's geared to people who are new and want to ask questions. So we read the big book, you know, a paragraph or two at a time, and whoever wants to discuss it can. But the caveat here is that you can only discuss things or answer the questions if you have your own experience. It's not theory-based at all. So we have, it's just a fantastic meeting. Um, It's in Morristown. It's actually at the Morristown Medical Center at 435 South Street in Morristown, 7 to 8 o'clock on the third floor. We go out to dinner beforehand. (laughs) But, um, and what that is, the questions that get asked there. You know, now that I'm doing the steps, people I've known for 20 years are starting to ignore me and treat me differently. You know, that's an experience we've all had. Um, you know, will there ever be a point where food doesn't mean anything? When do I actually connect to God and be and feel his presence and be guided by him? It is such a fantastic meeting with lots of people on the other side of Step 12 answering the questions that a newcomer has. Because most meetings, and not being critical of most meetings, is that when you go, there's no crosstalk. 
don't ask questions, talk to somebody after the meeting, and most of the real nitty-gritty step stuff is not talked about at most meetings. So my suggestion to anyone who's done the steps and can't find a good enough meeting, go to whatever meetings you can, get a sponsor, put the food down, read the big book, find someone to take you through, or not, because the big book was written for people who did not have a sponsor. The, the work can be done. I suggest you ha- get a sponsor. And then you start your own meeting that follows exactly what you need for your own recovery. And by that point, it's a meeting to help others. So hopefully that answered your question, and I'll pass. Thank you very much, Joel T. Alita P., you're up. Hi. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service, consistent and very wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Um, also to you, Barbara, uh, for your wonderful talk this morning. It was just very yummy. Um, I have uh, first. I want to thank you for uh, mentioning, uh, bringing, revisiting the uh, in the big book where it talks about the hard drinker and the real drinker, and uh, that was really shined a light on a situation that I've been kind of struggling with with my home meeting, and. Um, also, I want to ask you about the tenth step. You had mentioned that we don't call when we're um, giving our tenth step away. We don't, um, if I understood you correctly, we don't really necessarily have to explain the situation. We can just say, um, "Well, I acted um, prideful today," or fearful mm-hmm. or whatever. I just and and so, um, but you would ex and. and I, you would expect or the person, if it was you or whoever was receiving this 10 step, would expect me to have gone through a form or certain steps to get to this point. But I wouldn't necessarily have to explain the whole situation to the person that I'm giving my 10 step to. Is that correct? Am I understanding? Correct. Yeah. And, and okay. let me just backtrack for one thing, um, two things. One is you have to do one through nine correctly in order for 10 mm-hmm. to work properly. You can't just all of a sudden start doing step 10s because all the crap from from this point back is still in your head blocking you. So four through nine takes care of the past when you do it. Step 10 is four through nine on anything that happens from this exact moment. Now, the thing about resentments and, and is that this is what a resentment is. Someone did a wrong to me, and instead of getting rid of it immediately, I keep talking about it. I keep re-feeling about it. Because remember, the word resentment comes from centauri, meaning to feel. Put re in front of it, I feel again. So that's what a resentment is. Somebody does something, it's not a resentment until you keep thinking about it. You keep talking about it. The other person keeps becoming more and more wrong. And that's the purpose of the Step 10 resentment inventory is that the minute someone does you a wrong, you, before it has a chance to become a resentment, you do call them forth. So for a resentment, a man is a person who, and I'll use one of the examples that I always use. Okay, so I'm going someplace, I'm, I'm running late, I get behind someone who's doing the speed limit and stopping at yellow lights, okay? So my, my resentment inventory is I'm mad at this driver. There's column one. Column two, why? Because they're going slow and stopping at yellow lights making me later than I already am. 
Column three, what parts of self were affected? Well, my self-esteem, because now, you know, everything is just going wrong. My ambitions of being to a place on time. My personal relations, probably because by the time I get there, I'm not going to be as kind and gentle as I would. Column four, which is the most important, how did I get the ball rolling in this? I really don't have a, a part in how anyone else drives, but I do have a part in that I left my house late. And then I go to column five, what character defects allowed me to leave late? Well, lazy because I didn't get everything settled the night before. Foolish because, um, you know, I didn't do what I needed to do. Um, selfish because I'd rather be watching TV instead of packing up my car. Okay, so when, when I reverse it, if I wasn't these character defects, lazy and selfish and foolish, I would have left on time, and these things wouldn't have mattered, wouldn't have been affected because it wouldn't matter how the person in front of me is driving because I'd still get there in plenty of time. That's what step 10 does. How did I get the ball rolling so I can change those behaviors? And more importantly, what character defects allowed me to do that? Because then I jump to step six, which is still part 10. So I do the four-step inventory, whichever it is for resentment, fears, or harms. I jump to step six. Do I want these character defects removed? Yes. Column seven, please, God, stop me from being whatever is that I'm being. Teach me to be the opposite, and then I act as if I'm the opposite. So you know next time I'm going someplace, I'm leaving in plenty of time. If I've harmed somebody, like I'm beeping the guy and giving him the finger, well, how I, I can't say I'm sorry because he's in another car, but I can back off from his tail. I can stop screaming. I can, you know, not try and get in front of him and cut him off. There's certain behaviors I can do. Then when I get the chance, I do the part that you're asking about, the fifth step. I call my sponsor and I say, hi, this is Barbara. I was just mean-spirited. I was just... Um, you know, whatever character defects I just found. And then that's it. I don't go through the whole story about, oh, how dare this person drive so slow. Now I'm not going to be there on time. Everybody's going to think that I'm terrible because I'm not on time. All the stuff that would justify my being mad doesn't get mentioned. All that matters is here's the character defect that I want God to remove. That's what step 10 is, and that's what the talking to someone else is, is that verbalizing of this is where I have been wrong and what God needs to correct. And that's what's worked for me for 16 years and has worked for the people who I've sponsored, who all have magnificent lives and not full of anger, not full of fear, and not full of harms to others because they do step 10 this way and immediately get rid of what's ever blocking them off from their higher power. And I'll pass. Thank you, Alita P., for your question. Jody E. Good morning. This is Jody E., a grateful recovered compulsive overeater in California. Thank you, Barbara. Wow, what a great share. My question is about what you said about food plans. You said a food plan I can live with. And I'm wondering if you would um, talk a little bit more about that, what you mean by that. Sure, and this is not a criticism of any sect of OA or anybody sponsoring. I think this is what has just worked for me. Okay, and I'll tell you a story first, and then I'll give you my explanation. I'm in OA four months. This is going back to 2000. I'm losing 10 pounds a month. 
Um, I go to lunch to meet everybody, but I went home to get my, my dressing for my salad before I went. And when I sit down, the only chair available is next to a wall, and to the left of me is a woman who I am terrified of. So I sit down, and she turns to me, and she says, so what's your food plan? Now And I said, well, for breakfast I have three fruits, for lunch a large salad with grilled chicken and dressing, and for dinner I have shrimp soup salad, a healthy choice entree, and a scoop of fat-free, sugar-free frozen yogurt. And she says to me, if I were your sponsor, you wouldn't have one day of abstinence. And I don't know where this came from. I looked at her with a smile on my face, not even angry, and I said, then I'm glad you're not my sponsor. What I have learned is that for me, I can eat some sugar. Yay, great for me. I can't touch white flour at all. Some people can. Some people can have bread. Some people can have baked potatoes. Each person has a different allergy. It's not like AA where it doesn't matter if it's wine or vodka or beer. It's still alcohol, and your body's going to react the same. The hard part in OA is that each of us have different allergies. And so what happens is one food plan does not fit all. And what my sponsor let me do was define my abstinence, which then was three meals a day with nothing in between but non-caloric beverages, staying away from my red light foods, which are all the foods that I broke every diet with, that I went out in a snowstorm to get even though I didn't even go to work, that if they were there I could not resist, that I knew I could not handle. And so that was my first definition. The meals, four hours in between, no red light foods, not eating, because there were some behaviors, not downing it in 10 seconds, and eating exactly what I committed in my weight and measured amounts. Because this is my belief on a food plan. You know what foods you're not supposed to eat. You know the calories and everything. You know how much exercise you need to do. We could be professional weight loss people because we have that much knowledge. The thing is that for us as compulsive overeaters, knowledge doesn't do anything. But you know deep down inside which foods you can eat and which ones you can't. And for me, that's really what your food plan should be. When I first get someone, they pick a dignity of choice, and for two weeks they stick to that. At the end of two weeks, we talk about, is it enough food? Is it too much food? Is there anything you don't like? Is there something you want to change? But by that time, they've already identified their red light, yellow light, green light foods. They've already come up with their own definition of being abstinent. They're working a whole bunch of tools already. And the thing is that I'm not their life coach, nor am I their food police. They have to figure out what works for them. And the truth is you already know what you should be eating or not. It's just a matter of where do you get the power to do that? And the answer is by working the steps and hooking up with your higher power. So that's where the food plan for me comes. I have someone who's brand new, has eight days of abstinence. Yesterday when I talked to her, she said, I don't need to talk to you about my food plan. I said, we're going to do that next week. But after one week, she already instinctively knows what's going to work for her and what's not because she got all the crap out of her system and her head is filled with endorphins because she's filled with so much hope. And that's what a food plan should be, something that you can live with. Because I remember going on diets where they would say you have to have raw cabbage. I hate raw cabbage. But I would gag it down anyway 
in the name of skinniness. And because it was something I didn't like or following someone else's food plan would make me feel deprived, I needed to find what worked for me and have a sponsor who didn't try and control me and say, you have to eat exactly what I do or you can't do certain things. I know what works for me because I'm the one with the guidance of my higher power who for the rest of my life is going to have to make these decisions. So hopefully that answered. Yeah, thank you so much. Very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Joey. Anyone else with questions this morning for Barbara? Star one to unmute. Hi, Leah. I have a question. I have a question. One moment. That's Leah D. that just popped up. Who else is there? Leah, it's Mary Lou in California. Mary Lou. Anyone else? Yeah, Edith uh, from Quebec, Canada. Edith? Yeah. Yes. I didn't catch that name. Jenny S. Jenny S. Okay. Eileen M. Eileen M. Anyone else? Hi, this is Gail from New Jersey. What's your first name? I'm sorry. Gail. Gail. Okay, terrific. Let's start with Mary Lou, please. Hi, this is Mary Lou in California. Barbara, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your presentation. Everything in me was saying ditto, 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 and amen. And I'm so grateful to have heard you. Thank you, Leah, for facilitating. My question is, um, I didn't know whether to ask this. I I don't know how to form it, but the the instincts, you mentioned your instincts, and you mentioned um, during your talk three times, I think you mentioned, trusting your instincts or your intuition. And I want to know how taking the steps through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous um, has improved your ability to trust your own body and your own instincts. Okay, great question. Okay, because here's what happened. Before program, I could never trust anything I thought of because everything was so selfish and so seeking and all about me and it didn't matter about anybody else. So I come in, I work the steps, I start going through and what happens is all these things that are like give me, get me, I want, me, 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 I, 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 start disappearing. And what happens for me is when I get to step 11, all of a sudden, it's like that Claritin commercial where they, you know, rip back the one thing and everything's so clear. I got tons and tons of glimpses of that as I'm working the steps. Things just started happening. You know, people are smiling at me. My daughter, who hates me, invites me to lunch. Just one thing after the other starts happening, and it's because I start changing my belief systems that it's all about me are being pushed aside. You know, that whole thing, a whole new concept of ways of thinking take over. So what happens is by the time I get to 11, I have gotten rid of all the stuff that's blocking me off from my higher power. I'm also handling each thing as it's happening. And I'm also realizing when God is involved and I let him be in charge, no one gets hurt, including me. And based on that, I get this trust that the decision I made in three, you know what, God, you're doing such a great job. It's, it's a definite, definite 
different way of thinking. Go ahead, take over. And the minute that I say that, even though he's there all the time, it's like, and I always use the comparison of following the yellow brick road. It is so clear where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to say. I get a thought or I hear something or I read something, and within 10 seconds, what that thing is appears in front of me. And that's where you get to totally, totally trust your higher power because when it's my will, I'm asking questions. I mean, I just recently on a cruise heard someone say, you only ask for advice when you already know the answer, but you're hoping someone will tell you different, something different. I don't ask for advice. Everything goes to my higher power, and the truth is that when it's from my higher power, every cell in my body goes, ah. There's no angst. There's no questioning. There's nothing. I can't describe what that feeling is. It's something that you have to do yourself. But, you know, the hair on my arm stands up when that happens. It's, it's like this um, always feel protected and always feel him. But the step 11, which happens continuously, that connection, you know, at night reviewing my day, in the morning making my plans and throughout the day staying connected, it's always there, and because I am so open to letting him guide me, he does. But I can't explain to you how that happens other than it's based on my experience, each step doing something that was impossible for me to do and realizing, <clears throat> oh, it was my higher power who got me through that and got me through so many things that I, you reach a point where that decision in step three becomes a reality. Thank you, Mary Lou, for your question. Leah D., it's your turn. Hi, it's Leah D. from Brooklyn. Thank you so much. Um, wow. When you went over this 10-step resentment list, I envision myself walking around with notebooks. It's not my style. <laughs> Is there some place I just can't? It's just not who I am. I need to live in my... Uh, iPhone computerized world. Is there some place where this is written in an ABC form, short, quick, put it in the phone, put it on the internet, put it someplace where it's carried around slowly? I know I've done the fourth with pages and pages. Is there a KISS method of this that I could find, or do you know where it is, or would you make it? Thanks. What I have uh, years ago, people asked me how do I sponsor, and I wrote this thing. Everything that lives from the day I meet somebody all the way to them getting to the other side of twelve and doing the traditions and principles. It's a file that I just call how I sponsor, and, and in it it has every bit of instruction on what to do for ten as well as the, the other steps. You can grab that and put that in your iPhone if you're interested in getting it, or anybody else is interested. Just email me. I'll give you my email is antbabs54 at yahoo.com. Just say, please send me how I sponsor, and tomorrow morning I'll ship it out. You know, I'll, I'll email it back to you. And the forms are because what happens with step 10, you don't have to carry a binder out. What I did when I first started living in step 10 was I carried the four inventory sheets one for resentment, one for fears, and the two for harms. And when I needed to do them, I would pull them out. After doing it so often, I would just take out a piece of paper, draw four lines down and one across, and there were my five columns. And now after 16 years, a step 10 takes me about five seconds to do in my head. Just like anything else, if you get enough practice, you will become really, really good at it. 
So as I said, if you want me to send you that, I'll give you my email again. It's Aunt Babs, A-U-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, B as in Barbara, A, B as in Barbara, S as in Sam, 54 at yahoo.com. Just send me an email, and you'll have it by tomorrow. Thank you, Leah D. Esther. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, not Esther. How about Edith? I, Edith, yeah, and your last initial, please. Hi, this is Edith from Quebec, Canada, recovered operator. So, actually, what what I, my question is in your uh, ten step, you are turning over to your higher power, not to your sponsor. Yes. Okay, great. Great. Thank you so much. Because that's all that these steps are. How do I connect to something that's so magnificent that will keep me absent and stop me from causing wreckage? And there's not a person on this earth, as much as they may love me and want to help, that's strong enough to do that, unless they want to tie me to a bed and bring me salad three times a day for the rest of my life. Then maybe, without the help of God, I could stay absent. But the minute I'm untied, I'm off and getting pizza. The whole purpose is to connect to God and not to a person. Because if you connect to your higher power, I'm sorry, if you connect to your sponsor instead of your higher power, what happens when they move or they die or they break their abstinence? The greatest thing that I can suggest for you to do to see how important it is to connect to God instead of your sponsor is take all the steps that have the word God in it and put your sponsor's name in its place instead, and you will see immediately why you need to hook up with God instead of your sponsor. Your sponsors are great. You always need someone to help you and guide you at the beginning, but it's there to guide you how to connect to your higher power. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Edith. A reminder, please, everybody stay muted except for our speaker, Barbara, and Ginny S., it's now your turn to ask a question. Thank you. Um, And thank you so much for your presentation. Um, This is a fourth-step question. So you're supporting someone through their fourth step, and they're halfway through, and now they're terrified they're going to pick up. All the feelings have hit. They're angry, they're sad, they're afraid, they're in pain, and they're just white-knuckling it. So at this point, they're halfway through and they're terrified they're going to relapse. Do you tell them to stop doing step four and go back and do some steps that they have missed, or do you tell them to stop doing step four and move forward? How, how would you handle that? I have never in all the hundreds of people that I've sponsored had someone in the fourth step say, oh, I'm so scared to move forward and I'm going to eat. The fu- and, and that's not a criticism of anybody who does it. What I have found is these steps need to be done very, very quickly. So the way that I sponsor is we spend five, the first five weeks on their food and the tools and they stay abstinent. Somehow they stay absent for that five weeks. Every person, I mean, I shouldn't say that. There's people who right off the bat, they're off and running, they don't call me again. But the people who continue on with this, doing the assignments, talking to me each day, calling on time, eating exactly what they've committed, all the stuff that they're learning to do not to pick up stuff, by the time that they get to let's read the big book together, They read the doctor's opinion, we go through that. They do the next four chapters, and when we get to how it works, 
I read to them, and every time there's something, like, for example, we made a list of, of who uh, people, institutions, and principals who were mad. We get off the phone, they go make up that list, and they call me back. As soon as they're done with each thing, they call me. What happens is by the time they get to the four-step inventory, they don't have time to sit and wallow in any of the stuff. And if they've done, um, if they realize they have a problem, if they realize there's something <coughs> and they want to connect to it, and in step three they've made the decision, I'm going to do what I need to do, even if that means going to sleep at 6 o'clock, even if it means making 500 calls a day, even if it means coming and sitting in my house or going for a walk or doing whatever it is they need to do. They, the, the whole thing is willingness. So the minute they go through four, the f- inventories don't take long. If you're willing to make a commitment to just go off and do them, and while you're doing them, pray to your higher power to help you, and then when you're done, you just put them off to the side and continue on with your life doing <clears throat> stuff that you need to do. The, the real truth is from the time that someone asked me to be their sponsor to the time they're on the other side of 12, only takes five months. I mean, Thank I've had you. some people take longer or less, but it's just a matter of willingness to do what you need to do and to move very, very quickly. I, I don't think I answered your question, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you did, though, because you talked about the five weeks, and maybe if you could expand on that, but I think that's maybe that's the piece that was missing was the first five weeks. Yeah, I believe you talked about doing the tools. Yes, you have to put down the food in order to do this work because otherwise, if you haven't learned how not to run to the food for a month or so, the minute you start writing the stuff, which may be what's happening there, you're putting down on paper everything that ever made you want to eat. And if you don't have some kind of um, strategy for that, you're going to go and pick up. But as you say, if someone were to, like, at, at step four, not pick up the food but say they feel like it, I would say come to my house. We'll get you through all your inventories, and we'll do five, six, seven, eight, and nine right away and get you past wanting to do that. Because as a sponsor, that's the commitment I'm making. I'm going to go through your hell with you, and I'm going to do everything I can to get you past that. Okay? Yes, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ginny. Eileen M. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, this is Eileen M. from Lebanon, New Hampshire. And uh, Barbara, thank you so much for your service. It's wonderful to hear you. I I just love everything you're saying, and these um, just so good to hear about higher power. And I just really love everything you're saying. So. Um, my question, I, I think it's been pretty much answered. I was just wondering about, you mentioned going through the steps quickly, and I just was thinking about, well, you know, to define what quickly meant, and I think you have. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's the person's pace. When someone's enthusiastic and they do, you know, their second step assignment, their third step assignment, they call me back, we launch into four, they make their list, they do column two, they do column three, four, and it goes at their pace, and I'm telling you, <clears throat> People are on fire at the beginning, and that's when, and and that's, except for when I'm on a cruise, I'm at their disposal 24 hours a day. Wow. Okay, because I was just curious. Um, Yeah, like, yeah, how do you, that's really neat. Um, Wow. 
Okay, well, that that was pretty much my question. Was What do you think is a good time frame for a person who's, you know, very enthusiastic on step four, kind of, you know, doing step four every day, kind of working on it? Um, each person's individual. I can tell you my experience. I have been told to do the steps by writing a life story. And if you go back to, like, March 2nd, you'll hear my whole story. But that doesn't matter. But what happened is, um, and I, I wrote a life story, I'm a jealous person who's unloved and unlovable. I went to a retreat, first meeting on Friday, raised my hand. I just did my steps. I have these three character defects. Turns out there was a woman there whose recovered alcoholic boyfriend was there who came up to me after the meeting and said, if you only have three character defects, you didn't do the steps right, and then spent the rest of the weekend taking me through the big book. I did steps one through eight in one weekend. Wow. So it all depends, you know, and then when I left, I did my step nine amends and then went into 10, 11, 12, depending only on my higher power and the instructions in the big book and the AA 12 and 12, because he did not give me his telephone number nor his last name. He sent me off to connect to my higher power. But it you could be done in, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. Your four-step could be done sitting in one sitting if you're willing to be honest enough and you have a sponsor who teaches you because that fourth column for the resentment, how did I get the ball rolling? Sometimes people get it immediately. Sometimes it takes days before the light bulb goes off. But once you understand that you have a part in everything, except if you were raped or someone killed your kids or your parents are alcoholics. But then it's like, how are you using that as an excuse for your bad behavior? The minute you realize column four, that, the rest, and the fear and the harms inventories are really easy. It can be done very, very quickly. Like in a weekend kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Eileen M. And our final question for the morning comes from Gail L. Hi there. This is Gail, a compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Hi, Gail. Hi there. Barbara, thank you so very much for your beautiful gift um, and unselfish gift of service that you're providing for all myself for all of us this morning. I was hoping that we could just maybe talk a, a little bit about the newcomer. Um, I'm going to call myself a newcomer to OA. I am certainly not a newcomer to compulsive overeating. I have gained and lost hundreds of pounds over all of my life. And I'm trying to stay very focused and for today just follow direction. But when I hear all of these steps, and all of the tools and um, and everything else that comes along with working a good program of recovery, I, I have to be honest, it sounds so daunting, and I hear myself saying, what in order, I can't go through with it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> maybe if you could just talk to, to us a little bit about that. Sure. The first thing that I want to say is that um, what an order, I can't go through with it. I look at this book as a textbook, and I'd love to compare things to, like, algebra. So if this were a textbook on doing math, and Chapter 5 was algebra problems, it would be what an order, I can't go through with it. I can't just go to Chapter 5 and start doing algebra. But if I do 
the doctor's opinion and the four chapters before, which is then equivalent to math, addition and subtraction, multiplication and division, fractions, all the stuff that I need to do. By the time I get to the algebra chapter, chapter five, I can go through with it because I've been given the tools that I can do it. And while it sounds daunting to someone who's, re who's new, here's the real truth. If you really were to get out a piece of paper and write down how much time, effort, money, thought process, energy that you put into getting and eating food, mm -hmm. this is so much less. And the truth mm. is that you're only going to be doing one thing at a time. As a newcomer, the beginning is every day you're getting one small assignment. Mm -hmm. Eventually you will stand up as an available sponsor, which sounds scary as a newcomer, but by the time that you get to that point after three weeks of abstinence and you're in that room feeling fantastic, you're going to want to share it. A week later, leading the meeting sounds daunting, but you want to tell people your story because you want to help other newcomers. And then once you start working the steps, it's only one thing at a time. Nothing is too overwhelming if you just follow the instructions one at a time. There's nothing that says you have to get out the big book and in half an hour go from step zero all the way to the other side of 12. You're going to do one thing at a time. And as long as you trust your sponsor and know that your sponsor only wants the best for you, because you will have a guide and because you will also have your higher power with you, none of this is going to be daunting. Your job as a newcomer right now is to stick to your food plan from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Figure out what you have to do not to pick up the food. That's mm -hmm. your job. And as a newcomer, you take and you take and you take and you mm -hmm. be as selfish as you want until, oh, my God, the food is no longer a problem. And then you give and you give and you give. But for now, your job is just to stay abstinent. If you trust your sponsor, do what they say. And then before mm -hmm. you know it, you're going to realize how great you are and how great your life is. So I hope that helped. Wow, very comforting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gail L. And, of course, thank you so much, Barbara, for well, spending you, time with us this morning for your generous service. Thank you for your inspiring message of recovery. I'm going to close from page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>